Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know, I think it's really important to have firsts, and I'm really honored to be the first woman Attorney General of Oregon. But I view this job as setting the stage for the second and the third and beyond. And pretty soon we won't even be keeping track anymore, just like we don't keep track of how many men there have been. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan. Welcome back to Women Belong in the White House. Last week, we in the United States made history. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and Never again can we say that men alone have held the top two leadership positions in our nation. While there are still glass ceilings to break, it's important to celebrate the progress that's been made and to talk about how we got here. On this mini-series, we're charting Vice President Harris's path to her current role by examining her previous positions and how they helped prepare her for what's next. We're exploring what it means to build a pipeline of leadership And we're talking to folks who could one day follow in Kamala's footsteps. A quick but important note. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. Kamala Harris's path is not the only possible path to success in elected office. It's one of many paths. If you're interested in running for office, please don't see this as a checklist. Instead, you should go ahead and run. Now that we've got that covered, let's get back to where we were. Last week, we talked about the role of district attorney. From there, Kamala Harris went on to become the attorney general of California. As the elected attorney general of California, I did the work of significantly reforming the criminal justice system of a state of 40 million people, which became a national model for the work that needs to be done. Today, we're talking about what it means to be an AG. Once we see politicians in major roles, it's easy to forget that it was a battle for them to get there. Kamala Harris's race for attorney general was extremely contentious. The outcome of the race wasn't decided till well after election night, long before that was sort of a norm. Here's Melanie Rommel, executive director of Emerge California. You know, I would say, and she says this a lot, but at every step of the way along her political journey, she broke barriers. She was the first, she was doubted, right? There was every step along the way from DA to Attorney General, U.S. Senate. And now I remember, because I was working in politics when she was running for Attorney General, I remember it being the very last race that was called that year. You know, she wasn't the clear front runner. It was a very hotly contested race at the time. And I think it took over a month after the election that year to call it. That may seem more normal today, but in 2010, we were celebrating most election nights knowing who the winner was that that evening. And so to wait almost, I think it was at least three weeks or a month 
and to see her win by a very narrow margin, it wasn't a clear path the entire time. Once the votes were finally tallied and Kamala Harris took over the attorney general's office, she hit the ground running. District Attorney Rachel Rollins, who you heard from last week, spoke about how being a DA can prepare people for success as attorneys general. District attorneys are responsible for executive decision-making and for managing a large staff. You know, I think it's the nature of the work and the executive function of the work, but also having policy writing and implementation that make us perfect for bringing, you know, things to scale in a bigger way than maybe others going from being purely legislative. I think it's easier for us to go from our job to a larger one, like AG, U.S. Senator, you know, U.S. Attorney, you know, Congressperson, House of Representatives, Governor, whatever it is, then vice versa, right? From legislative to executive, because it's a big jump. But even with the perfect background, it's challenging for women to ascend to these positions. At the very top of the episode, we heard from Ellen Rosenblum, who's serving her third term as attorney general for the state of Oregon. She's the first woman to hold the position in her state. While she didn't previously serve as district attorney, her path to the position also involved a successful legal career. She said her resume gave voters confidence in her ability to do the job, which helped her break that glass ceiling in her state. Plus, in her previous roles, she'd formed connections that proved essential. Well, first of all, it gives you credibility when you run. And particularly women, uh, that is very important to have that credibility. So I think for me, it was extremely helpful. My background, my you know, legal education, my work. I think being a judge, my husband used to call it my Teflon coding was having been a judge because obviously there were some decisions that I had to make, some very difficult decisions, uh, but it was because I was following the rule of law that I made those decisions, not because of some you know, personal you know, vendetta that I had or opinion about something. It gives you a lot of credibility. And frankly, a lot of the work that we do does relate back to those types of experiences. Uh, we are also always, you know, relationships are so important when you're in, in the, the world of, of politics, uh, when you sort of morph from being a, a lawyer or a prosecutor into being a, also a politician, you're bringing three things together. You're bringing, you know, law, politics, and policy are coming together. And that's frankly what I love about the job is that you get to do that. So it's uh, just a really important to be able to say that you have this background and also to take advantage of it in developing the relationships, which you probably already have, but also in moving forward. You know, when you represent state government, it means you need to get to know the leaders of each of the state agencies. When you're working in the law enforcement area, you need to get to know the chiefs and the sheriffs. So it really helps a lot to have already developed those relationships. You don't want to just make that cold call for the first time when you have a serious problem and you need help. So let's really get into it. What does an attorney general actually do? Well, some people, and especially when they run for this office, and especially men, kind of refer to it as being the top cop. You know... You could say yes. In some states, they actually are the top chief law enforcement officer. In Oregon, I'm called by statute the chief law officer. So I tell people, look, 
I'm not the top cop. The, the district attorneys are the top cops. We support them. We do have a criminal justice division. I'm very proud of that because we do very high level work assisting law enforcement. But I like to think of my role as attorney general much more broadly than that. And so I call myself a couple things, but one is uh, the people's attorney. Because really, in addition to representing state government, which all state attorneys general do, I believe, uh, we are actually the law firm for the state, but we also look out for the people. We look out for the most vulnerable. We do, just as, as an example, we look out for kids through our child advocacy work. We handle all the abuse and neglect cases in the state and many AGs, not all do that. Remember, we all kind of have a little bit of a different set of statutes but we do elder abuse. I look out for students. I have a student debt initiative to try to find ways to make sure that student debt doesn't become an obligation of a lifetime. We look out for immigrants. We have quite a coalition, especially of Democratic uh, attorneys general, about half of the states. And we've worked together over the past four years on immigration cases, health care, reproductive freedom, basically you name it, immigrant rights. You know, really with a big, a major focus on, on health care, preserving the ACA and preserving reproductive freedoms. So those are just some examples of what attorneys general can do. We have a bully pulpit. We have uh, policy initiatives that we can bring to our legislature. And of course, we have the role of being the lawyer for the state government. Not all attorneys general have the exact same role. Heidi Heitkamp, former attorney general and then senator from North Dakota, described her experience. You know, it's interesting because every attorney's general office is different. Um, North Dakota is unique because the attorney general serves on the Industrial Commission, which runs the Bank of North Dakota, which runs um, the state mill and elevator, which uh, runs the housing finance agency, the bond board. So I always said my job as attorney general in North Dakota was divided in thirds. The first third was being the chief legal officer and doing regulation, whether it was gaming, whether it was taking a look at liquor licenses. The second third was running the Bureau of Criminal Investigation. So the state police were under my jurisdiction. Subsequently to that, the state lab has been moved under the jurisdiction of the attorney general in North Dakota. And then about a third was serving as a member of the industrial commission in that role. So every attorney general has a different role. I had uh, responsibility for consumer protection, which most attorneys general do. But you have to look at how varied it is. Attorneys general have an incredibly broad reach. There are so many different areas in which they can have impact. Well, I really got to know the state, and I really got to know the challenges of the state. I ran for attorney general because uh, I was asked by a friend of mine who ran and was one of the pioneers in North Dakota on domestic violence. And when you looked at violent crime in my state, most of it was generated in a family or domestic violence situation. In fact, I think at one point, 90 to 95 percent of all assaults in North Dakota were domestic assaults. And so this had been kind of poo-pooed, treated more like it was a family matter, a family problem. And we thought it was time to inject realistically the criminal justice system. And so I came to that job with a mission, which was to get justice and safety for women who and children who were victims of domestic violence. Within the variations of each state mandate, attorneys general determine the state's criminal justice system priorities. 
Here's how Kamala Harris described what she accomplished as California's AG in response to a question at a town hall at Drake University. How do you reconcile your contradictory past with what you claim to support today? I've been consistent my whole career. Um, My career has been based on an understanding, one, that as a prosecutor, my duty was to seek and make sure that the most vulnerable and voiceless among us are protected. And that is why I have personally prosecuted violent crime that includes rape, child molestation, and homicide. And I have also worked my entire career to reform the criminal justice system, understanding, to your point, that it is deeply flawed and in need of repair, which is why, as Attorney General, for example, I led the Department of Justice, which is the largest state Department of Justice in any state in California, and implemented the first of its kind in the nation, implicit bias and procedural justice training for police officers. It is why I created the first in the nation for any Department of Justice, an open data initiative that we named Open Justice for the first time, making transparent and showing the public statistics around deaths in custody, arrest rates by race, and making that information available to the public. I instituted a policy around requiring the agents who worked in my division, which is the first of its kind for a state agency, to wear body cameras. I created an initiative back when I was DA, and this is when, by the way, this is the 90s and the, and the early 2000s, where you could talk to DAs around the country and you'd mention the word reentry, and they didn't know what you were talking about. This is when there was a tough on crime mentality, and I created one of the first in the nation initiatives that was focused on re-entering former offenders by getting them jobs and training and counseling. And it ended up being something that, thankfully, in these ensuing 15 years, is something that is regularly talked about by district attorneys. But back when we created this, that was not happening. Professor Wendy Schiller, a professor of political science at Brown University, noted that while attorneys general have a lot of responsibility within their state, they also represent their state in national lawsuits. Here's Wendy. The job of an attorney general is a very complicated job for uh, for a state. But, you know, attorney general uh, not only deals with the enforcement of the state laws, but they will be people who will bring big cases against big violators in the state. So will act sort of in their capacity as a prosecutor to decide they have a lot of people working for them, whether there is a case to be brought, if it particularly affects multiple jurisdictions in the state. If there's a company that's polluting, for example, or there's a criminal enterprise that is spanned uh, across counties, then you're going to want the attorney general's office involved. But as important, it represents the state legally uh, in its dealings with other states and the federal government. And that is a good portion of what the attorney general does. So, for example, of California, Xavier Becerra was part of the lawsuit uh, to sue, uh, had to defend the state of California on Obamacare, but also sued the the uh, federal government. So attorneys general, as we know, they join lawsuit. They bring the state into the federal system by suing the federal government or fighting against the federal government. If the federal government says, we want you to implement something or adopt a practice, the attorney general has to defend the state law and state constitution. So it's a it's both domestic within the state law enforcement, but it's also representing the state as a unit vis-a-vis in our federal system, vis-a-vis other states and the executive branch. Keeping the federal government in check was a particularly high-profile part of the job over the last four years. Chaotic scenes erupting at airports around the world. Protests all across the country. Denounce President Trump's temporary ban on travelers from seven mostly Muslim countries. Lawyers descending on airports. 
Ashanti Golar, president of Emerge, described how important attorneys general were throughout the Trump administration. The best way I can talk about AG is after Donald Trump was elected, we know he instituted his Muslim ban, which we were all like, what? What is he doing? And who are the first people who filed lawsuits to stop the Muslim ban? It was the AGs. They have really been at the forefront of making sure that they are holding the Trump administration accountable. So that is a key reason why the AG role is super important. They are your state's lawyers. Imagine if there was just no check at all on so many of these executive orders and crazy laws that were coming out of the White House it would be complete madness. So you wanna have an AG who is really going to be not only looking out for the people of your state, but of your country as well. AGs have been extremely important during COVID with all of the scams that have been happening, particularly the price gouging. Super important because they've been filing lawsuits against those businesses, shutting down those businesses. So as a consumer, your AG is really important in making sure that you are getting fair prices, that you are getting fair treatment. It's a huge job. It's also one that continues to be predominantly held by men. We'll talk about why that is and how the career trajectories for men and women attorneys general differ after the break. Last episode, you heard from Rachel Rollins, District Attorney of Suffolk County, Massachusetts. D.A. Rollins is an Emerge alum who says Emerge had an incredible impact on her ability to run and win. So I had the trifecta of not great things. They're all wonderful things, but just when you look at who normally is our elected population, it is overwhelmingly not poor, so it's wealthy people, and I am not wealthy. <laughs> um, it is overwhelmingly male, and I am not, and it is overwhelmingly white. And so I am a working class woman of color who had never run for office before. And what was amazing was what I announced on, I think, a Wednesday. On Thursday, my phone rang out of the blue, and it was Emerge Massachusetts saying, hey, we heard you're running for office. And they said, we have a boot camp that starts this Friday, this weekend. Everything Emerge taught me, we used. And it was a streamlined, outstanding process that really whittled it down to its essence of, listen, this is what you need to know about field work or mailers or, um, you know, uh, endorsements, right? And all the different types um, and momentum, right? And uh, your your number of votes required to win, right? There's there's a whole language that, that we don't even use those words when we're speaking in, you know, to, to other people, but it is, it's awesome. Emerge, Emerge gets my, anytime they call me for anything, Jenny, I don't care what I'm doing, I'm, yes. The answer is yes, Emerge, thank you, because I am here because of you. Emerge is helping women around the country run for office and win. You could be next. Find out more about how you can learn to run for office at EmergeAmerica.org. That's E-M-E-R-G-E America.org.
As with all executive positions, we are nowhere near gender parity when it comes to attorneys general. There are currently eight women attorneys general in the U.S., five Democrats and three Republicans, and only one woman of color. Part of the imbalance comes from what we spoke about last week. There are fewer women in roles that tend to feed into the attorney general position. Here's AG Ellen Rosenblum again. Yeah, we need more, absolutely. And that's why we're working so hard. I helped start a program with the Democratic Attorneys General Association called the 1881 Initiative. And this is our women's initiative to encourage and help uh, and actually recruit women to run for state attorney general and actually emerge as a partner with us in that program. So we very much appreciate it. And so that's an important piece of it is that you need to not only you know uh, identify women who have the uh, you know ability to run in terms of you know where they are in their lives, what their experience is, whether they would have that credibility and that ability to uh, you know to take on this this role, but it also takes uh, help. You need to have organizations like Emerge, uh, like you know DAGA, the the Democratic AGs. We do a lot to help candidates after identifying them. If you just identify them and then just let them go sink or swim on their own, sure, they might make it, but it's really important to have that support. And I think one of the reasons is that we haven't had the pipeline. You've got to develop the bench, the pipeline, and we're doing that, but it's been a little bit slow because there haven't been as many women in some of the feeder positions that are the most likely to lead to attorney general, such as district attorney, such as state legislator, uh, such as in my case, um, judge. That's a bit unusual, quite honestly. There aren't too many judges who go on to be attorney general. Usually it works the other way around, actually. But uh, those are all really good, uh, good backgrounds to have. But we have to develop that bench, and then we have to promote it in various ways, such as through trainings. Even after women win a spot as AG, their career paths afterwards tend to be shaped by our society's discomfort with women in executive leadership roles. Here's Professor Wendy Schiller again. A lot of women have been, you know, have been, not a lot, but a number of women have been attorney general. So Catherine Cortez Masto was attorney general of Nevada, and then she ran uh, and is now a U.S. senator. Uh, Kamala Harris, we know that story. Uh, Letitia James in New York is the first elected female attorney general in the history of New York and the first elected woman of color who's the attorney general of New York. So it's been slower for women to attain the position of attorney general, and it's been a fast track for men. Men tend to go from attorney general to governor more slightly more frequently, uh, and women tend to go from attorney general with a very small n to senator. Despite these systemic barriers, Amanda Hunter, executive director at the Barbara Lee Family Foundation, spoke about why AG is still such a strong title to hold if you're running for higher office. In one of the primary debates, Vice President-elect Harris said, I ran the second largest Justice Department in the country, which I thought was such an interesting way to highlight her qualifications on such a large stage. And it's true. And we know from our research that when women seek executive office, a lot of times women will run for governor after they are attorney general. Having that type of a statewide cabinet position is a very important way to build the executive experience that can be elusive for women. A lot of times if a woman's running for governor from a legislative position, 
it's kind of like the catch 22 of, well, she doesn't have executive experience. How do we know that she can do it? Well, how are you going to elect her if you won't give her a chance? So this is a, a, a path that some women will take for other executive roles. And the high profile nature, especially within the state of being seen as a statewide leader, being seen as a strong leader, still prosecuting cases, standing up for the people. She was known pretty early on as someone who was for the people. And then kind of on a larger scale, it magnetizes those same risks that women face when they serve as district attorney too, but, but on a much higher level, the strength versus toughness, the having a record, and the lack of control sometimes on what happens with cases. Women who held the position of attorney general have gone on to serve in a variety of roles, including governor and senator. Kelly Dittmar, an associate professor of political science at Rutgers University and researcher with the Center for American Women in Politics, shared some examples. So we have historically... 40 women who've served as attorneys general across the country. And so we're getting to the, the point, I think, where you start seeing some of these women, the path that they've taken from attorneys general to different offices. So just, just to name a few. So you have Jennifer Granholm, who was a former attorney general who became a governor, who now will be in the administration, the Biden administration, as secretary of energy. You have somebody like um, Catherine Cortez Masto, who's um, now a U.S. senator. You have Martha Coakley, who ultimately ran for the Senate, was not successful, but again, seeing some of these paths to um, different offices. Heidi Heitkamp who was an attorney general and then uh, ran for the Senate. Um, and so you can go down the list, Janet Napolitano, um, and see how this role has set up some women to either pursue a national office in the form of the U.S. Senate, be appointed in positions, but where that experience has, has certainly um, positioned them well uh, to move into other political posts. Heidi Heidkamp spoke to how her time as attorney general and tax commissioner helped prepare her for her time in the Senate. The experiences that I had from state government, economics, being tax commissioner to North Dakota's attorney general, which is a very diverse position to United States Senate, I felt like all of those experiences really gave me an opportunity to be very diverse in my interests. And so, uh, you know, I've had a great life. And, and thanks to the honor that uh, the voters of North Dakota bestowed on me, I've had a chance to serve. And I knew my state very, very well. I knew the economics of my state. I knew the, the social and domestic problems that we had. I think I was very well prepared. So I could sit in the banking committee and understand banking because I had served on the board of the Bank of North Dakota. I could then go to Homeland Security and talk about what we needed to do on the border and inter, interagency cooperation and law enforcement because I had run a law enforcement agency. I could go to um, take a look at what we needed to do for consumer protection for, on opioids and know what that world looked like. Because of her prior experience, Heidi arrived in the Senate with a huge swath of expertise. 
I also was one of the negotiators on the tobacco settlement. So I had a big uh, experience in public health, knew a lot about health care. And so I think I came really, really well prepared to jump in you know, kind of feet first. I, I had to tell a story about an oil company. I had uh, one of the jobs of the attorney general was to, again, serve on the industrial commission where we regulated the oil and gas industry. And I also was an oil and gas tax attorney. And uh, he came in and I was talking about horizontal fracking and, you know, horizontal drilling with fracking. And I was talking about, you know, kind of um, take or pay contracts and what does that look like and how can we, you know, stop methane emissions. And so I was really getting into kind of the details. And he just got really wide eyed and said, man, you know a lot. And, And I said, well, if you had talked to me before the campaign, you would have known that. This is an experience that I've had. I know a lot about energy because that's what I've done. And so I think that there was this uh, assumption, you're a Democratic woman, you don't know about these things without even looking at the resume and understanding that these are issues that I've dealt with pretty much consistently my whole political career. As we discussed last week when we were talking about district attorneys, attorneys general are associated with the law. That makes sense given the scope of the role. For women running for office, it can be helpful to have that experience in the criminal justice system. That can counterbalance typical biases that assume women are softer or less knowledgeable when it comes to law and order. On the other hand, we saw this past election that an association with the criminal justice system can also be damning. Here's Kelly Dittmar again. I think that has borne out to be true that Democratic AGs sometimes have more complications uh, when it comes to speaking, especially lately, to a progressive base of Democratic voters who may label AGs as the quote-unquote top cop. And if that becomes a negative term, that you are aligned with law enforcement, and in this case, law enforcement that you feel is the problem, uh, then you as, as the attorney general, the former attorney general, have to make a clear case about the role you played specifically. And I think that's something that Kamala Harris has worked on and, and had to do over time. And so again, pros and cons of having that experience. And then it's the double binds, right? Because we want women to demonstrate that they can meet these masculine credentials, but then we penalize them because they met credentials that violate expectations of femininity, or in this case, because you've pushed them to demonstrate their credentials in this office, you now are saying, well, that office in and of itself was corrupt. And so therefore, we're going to discount those credentials. And one thing that, for for Kamala Harris specifically, that I I assume (laughs) was frustrating, whether or not she could talk about it um, much, was that we know that when she was in that office, because of the biased expectations and skepticism and criticism that she knew she was facing or would face as a black woman, that there were probably decisions that she was making every day that walked this line of not seeming too soft, but still, you know, holding the line. There is never a moment 
where women get the benefit of the doubt or women get recognition that they were navigating a highly biased institution and doing the best that they can within the institution as it is or was. Again, women are accustomed to this, um, but it is a source of frustration and it makes it, I think, even harder for women to then get out of these roles and into the next campaign with the least amount of scrutiny and sort of backlash to their, their record to date. The more women we have in office, the more we will hopefully widen the tightrope that women candidates have to walk. While it's taken longer for change in executive roles, progress is happening, if somewhat slowly. Making that progress sustainable requires top-down and bottom-up approaches. Kamala Harris is working from the top to change our nation's image of who political leaders are. Here's A.G. Rosenblum again. I know former Attorney General, Senator, and now Vice President-elect Harris, and You know, we aren't close friends, but she knows enough about my work that she referred to me recently as a badass. And I love that. And I kind of return the favor. I think she's a badass too. Uh, So she's done just such remarkable work in her positions that she has held in California as uh, district attorney of San Francisco and then as attorney general, where, as I mentioned earlier, it's a much broader portfolio. It's not just limited to to being a prosecutor. So when she ran uh, for first for president, and then of course, as the vice presidential running mate, she was able to really take advantage. Oh, and in her job as Senator, you could see how her skills uh, have helped her with the credibility that she needed and the background that will, will just come in handy for her, no matter what roles she's given as vice president. And I'm sure there will be many because it's clear that they have quite a partnership already and that President Biden really sees her as a partner. Candidates at all levels of elected office are working from the other side, bottom up, ensuring there's a pipeline of leaders who will be ready to step up from one role to the next all the way to the top. Next time on Women Belong in the House, we're talking about the Senate. Women Belong in the House is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Liz Smith and Grace Lynch, executive produced by me, Jenny Kaplan. Special thanks to Brittany Martinez and Carmen Borca Carrillo. Talk to you next time. Next time.